You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Jesus is teaching on Noah's flood. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by ChristadelphianVideo.org. The flood was a divinely implemented event because people lacked in morals. The crime, cruelty and oppression showed they didn't see a need for salvation. Noah heeded God's word and he found grace and he built an ark for the saving of his family. The Bible provides a message of hope. God is providing an ark today because the world we live in is like that of Noah's time. Jesus is the door to enter through to be saved. So we're going to have a look this evening at Jesus' teaching on Noah's flood, which was a major cataclysmic event uh, that the Bible talks about. This event did not happen by chance, but was divinely implemented for very important reasons. And we know, don't we, that the Bible uh, is all about saving life. And that's what the message of hope from the Bible is, is that there's an opportunity for all of us to have everlasting life in God's kingdom through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is another side to that, that if our soul focuses on self, and if we see that the world around us is, is full of violence, full of wickedness, then God claims in his Bible, in his truth, in his word, that he will ultimately act and bring about uh, salvation for those righteous uh, in the earth. And so when we look at the reading uh, that Brother Ewan read to us uh, this evening, we have there the question that comes from the spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And their question to the Lord Jesus Christ in, in Luke chapter 17 is, when will the kingdom of God come? When will that time of righteousness and peace that we can read in the Bible, when will that come about? And of course, they were looking for salvation, not from the true enemy, which is sin and death. They were looking for salvation uh, from the Romans. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ spent many hours explaining to them his purpose on the earth. He was there to save people from their sin. His sacrifice, his death upon the cross, would enable mankind to be reconciled to God. His sacrifice for sin, the shedding of his blood, would be a cover for sin. And the sins of believers would be forgiven if they followed him through the waters of baptism. And so that was the message that the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to convey, but the scribes and the Pharisees didn't think that they needed to be saved from sin. 
they all they could think about was the Romans and their immediacy of, of the trials and the tribulations, that they weren't in complete control. And if you think about it, it's like a man who is drowning and there is another man offering him a lifeline that will absolutely save his life. But they were convinced that they knew how to save themselves and in so doing moved further and further away from the lifeline uh, that was afforded to them. And that analogy is similar to what we have at the time of Noah that we're going to have a look at um, in a few moments. So in this chapter, they say, when is the kingdom gonna come? And the Lord Jesus Christ says to them in verse 20, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is, is with you. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is explaining is, is that you can't just wait passively for the kingdom to, to just arrive and just to see it happening. You've got to be prepared and you've got to be willing to listen to my words now, because there is going to be come a time when it's going to be too late. The door of opportunity to be saved will be closed. And then in Luke 22, he goes on to speak to the disciples and said, the days will come when you shall desire to see the days of the Son of Man. And that expression uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ uses of himself, the Son of Man, is to allude back to the use of that term in the Old Testament. One of the important principles is that we read all the Bible uh, to fully understand God's message. And, and that expression comes up in Daniel's prophecy about the end times. And so the Lord Jesus Christ links himself to those prophecies as he will be the one to fulfill them. And he's saying to disciples, you're going to look here and look there. And there's going to be people who are claiming to be the Messiah. But he says, don't go after them. Verse 25, because first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. So the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to disciples that before the kingdom of God can come, I must be crucified and rejected of men. I must be offered as a sacrifice for sin. And we know, don't we, that both Jews and Gentiles spoke against him, the Romans who conducted it and the Jews that spoke it. And then he goes on to say, verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Lord Jesus Christ here in, in Luke's gospel is talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ or a cataclysmic event. And there's going to be synergies. There's going to be connections. There's going to be similarities to the behaviors of people in the time of the flood as to this day. He goes on to talk about Solomon Gomorrah uh, in verse 28 and verse 29. And then verse 30, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so there's there can be, um, when you look at Luke chapter 17 and the parallel record in Matthew 24, parallels drawn between AD 70, where the Jewish nation would, would be destroyed and scattered, but the focus of our talk this evening is talking about the time of the end when the Lord Jesus Christ will return 
as the son of man and son of God to establish God's kingdom on the earth. And this is the exciting thing as Bible students we're looking for. And we've been given a major sign from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that as it was in the days of Noah. So that's why we're going to have a look um, in a few moments now at Noah and have a look at the background um, to these passages all the way back in the book of Genesis. We're going to start off by reminding ourselves of very briefly core biblical principles that we need to apply uh, when we're studying God's word. Then we're going to have a look into what was actually happening at the time of the flood. What was the situation that Noah and his family found themselves in. Then we're gonna have a brief look at the ark, the means by which Noah and his family would be saved from that global cataclysmic event. And then we're gonna circle back to Jesus's teaching, uh, looking this time at Matthew's gospel, and then draw some lessons for us as we try to be servants of Jesus in these days that remain. So, one of the core biblical principles that we just like to start off with and have a look at um, is this idea from Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that the Apostle Paul explains to believers at that time. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And what the Apostle Paul is 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 talking about there is, is that all the scripture is important for our instruction. Genesis all the way through to Malachi in the Old Testament, and of course the New Testament that the Apostle Paul was penning under inspiration uh, in his day. And so we can't ignore things, and there can be um, in Christianity a tendency to have a look at Genesis 1 uh, all the way through to chapter 10, and to say, well, that's merely a parable, an allegory, a story, but it didn't really happen that way. And what we need to understand from the words of the Apostle Paul is, is that all of those things did happen for our instruction. They were real people. We might know that in Luke chapter 3, verse 26, we have the genealogy all the way from Adam, the first man, all the way down uh, to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Noah is in that list. He's in verse 26. He was a real person. And so as Bible students, we've got to appreciate that these events, although sometimes difficult to fully comprehend all the time, did happen and the Lord Jesus Christ believed that they happened and they happened for our instruction so that we can learn lessons and apply them in our spiritual journeys. And so that's with that principle then let's have a look at the background uh, to this flood in the time of Noah and sadly we read in Genesis chapter 6 that even though Genesis chapter one talks about the creation of man, that it was very good um, in the sight of God, things have taken a turn for the worse. We, we know that we have the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden and the consequences of that. Well, years have passed and now we have these words in Genesis chapter six and verse five. 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's an important expression uh, for us just to remember for a couple of moments that <clears throat> there seems to be an infatuation of focus with evil. And the result is, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. What an incredible thing to, to be reading all the way back in, in the book of Genesis, that the fall of man has reached this low point, that there's only evil continually within the hearts of men. But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. So there is one man, one family that are still trying in their lives to worship God and to keep up godly principles, not only in the way that they think, but also in the way that they act. And so we have there the contrast, don't we, that, that God works with our heart, but their heart was only evil continually. And as a result of that, God is grieved in his heart. And we might think that, that well, that was back, back then and they, they knew no better. Well, of course, that was the problem, that these were civilized people, so-called. They lived in, in cities. They had all the modern amenities that life could offer them. But the sad thing was that they had decided to forsake God and, and his rules and his commandments. And they focused instead on self their own personal enjoyment, getting rich, eating and drinking was a firm focus. They were permissive in their behavior and they totally lacked morals. And there was violence. And we're gonna have a look at some verses about that in a few moments. There was crime, there was cruelty, and there was oppression. And that's the situation that we have um, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11, we read, so the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt and all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so that's the sad picture, that there was the way that God had given them, but they had decided to go their way, and they had reached the depths of depravity. And we can imagine that, that things that people thought were wrong over time had suddenly become accepted, had suddenly become a way of life, and everybody was getting involved with it to some degree. No doubt some thought to themselves they didn't like some of these things. They thought we don't subscribe to all that's going on. But none of them, apart from Noah, saw the need for any change 
and they didn't think that there was a need for salvation. And that's the picture that we have uh, from Genesis chapter six, a very sad um, state that we find the earth in, um, that man has become focused and obsessed with himself. And now people are afraid to leave their homes, no doubt, because of the violence and depravity that is now filling um, the earth. So what about Noah? Well, there's a stark contrast, isn't there, between what's happening in the world and the expressions that we have in the Bible about Noah himself. It says Noah found grace in Genesis 6, verse 8. Verse 9, he was just. He was perfect. And that word perfect means he was full or complete. He tried to accept and to implement godly principles. Obviously, he sinned like all of us do. But his firm focus was trying to follow God and to be a righteous person among the people. And as a result of that, it says in the scripture that he walked with God. And of course, because of these things, then God made a covenant, a promise with Noah. And he made a promise that he would save him through the ark. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And we read again in, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, and Noah did according unto all the Lord commanded him. And so what was, what was going on? Well, God said, I'm going to destroy the earth, but there's going to be a means, Noah, by which you and your family can be saved. And I'd like you to build an ark. And of course, at this time, they seem to be quite landlocked. You can imagine uh, what people would think if someone started to build a massive boat when there was a lack of water around. Many Bible students have tried to calculate the time frames it would have taken uh, for Noah to create uh, such a vessel. And we're going to have a look at the size of that vessel in a couple of moments. But we're talking here about decades of effort to build this ark for it to be ready, uh, for it to be watertight so that it can float when God floods the earth to cleanse it uh, from all the sin and the violence that had filled it. And that's the key emphasis here that we need to remember, that Noah would no doubt have been preaching the right way, God's way, to those people of his time. And they would have seen him building this vast vessel and no doubt inquired of him, what is it that you're building? Why are you building it? And there was a time, therefore, for them to hear his words and to repent from their way. They could have said, I agree with you, Noah, the world's in a dreadful state. I'm going to help you build the ark and I'm going to be in there with you because I trust God's word that what he said he will absolutely perform. But sadly, we don't read of anybody doing that. In fact, quite the opposite. And so it was that Noah continued this construction, even though um, no, no doubt people made fun of that construction. And he was preaching the hope of salvation to those around him. But sadly, his words fell upon deaf ears and no one 
apart from Noah and his family, joined in to build that ark by which they could be saved uh, from the flood. And so when we think about the ark that Noah built, um, some of us might think of uh, some books that we might see uh, in, in children's stories. You can see there, there's a, an, artist, an artist depiction of the ark and the beavers are sadly eating holes in the ark and uh, that's gonna cause problems for them. And you can see the consternation there of all the animals two by two. And that's often what we perhaps think about when we think of uh, the ark. We sometimes forget how vast a vessel um, it actually was. And if we think about the ark uh, in today's um, stands, it was some 450 feet long. That's just under 140 meters. It was a vast construction, huge. If we look at the size of a 747 plane, it was almost twice as long as that. And there we see the Titanic, um, a vast vessel, and Noah's Ark is around about just over halfway um, of that. So the storage capacity of the ark was, was incredible. And when we read about how it was constructed, we also understand that it used um, this principle of the ratio of one to six. So the length of it and the breadth of it were a, were a ratio of one to six. And that's how long the ark was, about 75 feet by 450 feet. And what's quite incredible as an aside is that modern super tankers are built to the same ratio today. And that's to, to maximize capacity. So you wanna maximize how much oil uh, or gas, uh, liquid gas you can carry, but also with the need for maneuverability and, uh, and flotation, particularly if the waves are, are rough. And that's fascinating that, that this principle, we call it Noah's Ark, but really it was God's design, um, was all the way back in the book of Genesis that this one in six principle became um, the blueprint, if you like, for the design of vast ocean-going vessels. And um, there's actually an ark being built today in Williamstown, not too far from Cincinnati, um, a couple of hours' drive from Chicago, in Williamstown. And you can go and see the ark um, today, and you can walk around it. It took a number of years, uh, even with modern technology, to build uh, this life-size model of the ark. And it just goes to show what an incredible vessel uh, this was to save God's people. And of course, and, and the land going animals. And so can we see from all the way back in, even in this time in the book of Genesis, that God has provided a means by which those who follow him, those who try to do the right things can be saved but they've got to be willing to listen to him and to act accordingly. And Noah, even though this was a huge amount of work over multiples of years, persevered um, to construct this incredible vessel by which him and his family could be saved. As, a, as an aside, um, the man who found the Titanic uh, believes that the that the flood did happen and he's uncovered uh, evidence that supports that. And even though there are some that might feel that it's, it's easier to describe a, a localized flood, 
The Bible seems to make very clear that this was a flood over the whole earth. And we don't want to be too dogmatic about that, but it's important, isn't it, that we take the principles that we read in the Bible at face value. And uh, he goes on to say that he believes that he's found evidence of a great flood. And we know, don't we, that there have been um, finds uh, in the sediment in different parts of the world that seem to lend themselves uh, to that way of thinking. So the flood <coughs> took place and Noah and his family and the animals were in the ark and they were saved whilst the Bible describes that everybody else, all the land animals, all in whose was the breath of life, died uh, on the earth and the earth was, was cleansed. So a great cataclysmic uh, event. But what did God say? He says to Noah, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night will never cease. And so there's a promise made to Noah that this cataclysmic event where the earth would be flooded or the earth would be destroyed would not happen again. And as a guarantee, we read that God sets a bow in the sky, the rainbow that appears uh, after rain. And of course, it's an incredibly beautiful thing, isn't it, to see the rainbow. And it was so that the Bible uh, believers would look up at that and realize that God will be working out his plan of salvation for all of us. Um, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're going to have a look at um, in a couple of moments. We've seen, haven't we, that the rainbow has been used um, in COVID times to thank the NHS for, for their work. But we know, don't we, that we thank the NHS for, for saving us from, from COVID, albeit though that that's a temporary reprieve. What the Bible offers through the true rainbow is salvation from the real disease which is sin and death, and that there is a new way that we can follow God's way um, and be saved. <clears throat> so let's have a look now at Jesus's teaching. We have, don't we, that we've mentioned that, that Noah is in the genealogy of the flood, and to him, if you will, to Matthew's uh, gospel, the Matthew chapter 24. Here we have um, Jesus talking again, um, about the time of the end. And this time, it seems that the focus is talking to the disciples. And they would love to know, when are these things actually going to happen? When is the kingdom of God going to be established? When will there be righteousness and peace in the earth? Where will, when will we see that sorrow and suffering and, and violence and wickedness will be no more? Well, Jesus says in, in verse 36 um, of Matthew 24, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And that's a very interesting thing for us to remember, isn't it? That even the Lord Jesus Christ says, even I don't know, I'm the son of God, but I do not know when the kingdom is coming, nor do the angels of heaven. 
though we know from scripture that they loved to look into those things. It was only when Jesus ascended to his father after his resurrection uh, would these things be revealed to him. But he says that there are signs, <clears throat> there are things that you can look at, and this is to Jesus' disciples, but to all of his disciples throughout the ages, that we can look at that will tell us that Christ's return is soon coming. And he says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And it goes on to describe what was happening. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so that's the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's going to be an opportunity for everybody to become a servant of his name. When you can see the world filled with these things, know that this is the time to serve the Lord. This is the time for the ark. It's being built. Help with the ark. Respond to my messages, says the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to be saved. Don't be like those who only have a focus upon self. That all they care about is what they can get from this life. And they're not interested in looking after each other. They're only interested in themselves. And sadly, um, the earth is filled with violence, as it was in the days of Noah. And so as Bible students, we, we think, don't we, about these words. And we think about when is it then that the Lord Jesus Christ will come? And we've talked many times about the events that are subsequent to that herald the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews being back in their land is one thing that we've spoken about many times. But this is another little snapshot that we can have that the principle being established by the Lord Jesus Christ is, is that the days of Noah are a shadow of the days before Christ returns. So have we got to a point in our society where the thoughts of man's heart are only evil continually, that the, the morals have, have got worse, things that weren't acceptable years ago are now becoming the norm and advocated for, and those that don't, subscribe to those things are vilified are we in those times because if we fear that we've got to that point where the lord jesus christ's message to us is very clear the end of days is coming now is the time to serve the lord just as a, as a snapshot um, of of what's happening in modern society today we have don't we that Percentage of Christians in, in most of the continents is sadly in, in decline. In Africa, it's increasing, but, but elsewhere it's not. The Global Peace Index indicates to us, and there's a new one about to come out, that violence in the earth is, is at astronomically high levels. And part of the reason for that is the population of man has significantly increased. There's about 3 billion back in the uh, 18th century. And now we're rising up to almost 8 billion in the earth. There's projections that in the next 40 years, we might even top 10 billion. 
And so as man continues uh, to grow in number, so too do the things that we describe in Genesis um, and their prevalence in the earth, men and women marrying and giving in marriage. We've got the divorces per thousand uh, in men and women on the chart there. The absolute figures are increasing because there's more people who are getting married and sadly more people uh, divorcing as a result. And so we're starting to see these trends um, in the earth. And it seems clear that, that man has no answer to the great problems that is facing mankind. And there's great consternation about how it is that we are going uh, to sort out the big problems of, of climate change, uh, the great problems of, of pandemics. And we've recently experienced COVID. We're well overdue for a global uh, influenza pandemic. And how can we respond to the challenges of our time when we have an aging population in some countries, um, but a lack of food um, in others? These problems are filling the earth. And they can fill us with, with a sense of fear and a sense of dread. But there is a message of wonderful hope that the scripture talks about, that there is going to be a time of righteousness and peace where sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And now we're going to draw our thoughts to a conclusion by thinking about some key lessons for us uh, from the time of Noah. Well, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, we have a very small verse, but says something quite profound. And they that went in, went in male and female and all flesh. God wants everybody to be saved. Male, female, there is neither bond nor free, Jew nor Gentile. All can become sons and daughters of God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us in to his ark. He wants us to be saved. But as the verse goes on to say, as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. So don't have the idea that Noah shut the door. God shut the door and sealed that vessel so that no one could get in. No one from outside could get in when the waters came, but the water could also not come in uh, to sink the vessel. And so that was to protect them from destruction. But it does indicate, doesn't it, that that was the time frame. They had multiples of decades to work, to help build the ark, to put their words into actions, to become followers of God and his righteous ways. But when the door was shut, there was no time any longer. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying the same things to us in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If we're in Christ, we are protected from whatever befalls the earth. It doesn't matter. Even if we lose our lives, we have hope of everlasting life in God's kingdom, because Jesus is the door. He is the one that shepherds the sheep who would follow him, who hear his voice and respond. 
And how is it that we can respond then to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there is a way. And we read in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. It goes on to say, he that doesn't believe, those who are not interested, will not be saved. So there is a binary choice presented to us, and, and God and the Lord Jesus Christ implores us to be saved. That through the waters of baptism, we become associated with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as we go into the waters, but also into his resurrection as we come out of the waters. And this symbol symbolizes to us that we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have changed now. We're no longer the old person following after the ways of the flesh, doing those things that please us. We're now going to follow Christ. And we're going to try to follow his example and put others before ourselves as we strengthen each other inside the, the church, the ark, the ecclesia, as we walk towards God's kingdom together. Turn with me, if you will, to First Peter um, and chapter 3. And we're going to read uh, from verse 18. And the Apostle Peter here is recalling what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. So first Peter chapter three and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the spirit. And so what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about, isn't he, that, that the baptism that is a spiritual death. The flesh is being removed and we come forth in the spirit through uh, the waters of baptism and become associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. What is that talking about? Well, he's talking, isn't he, that Peter's saying that there were people who were willing to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, who realized that his words were words of wisdom and that they were being led astray by the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of the day, because they thought they were righteous. They didn't think they needed to be saved. All they thought that they needed to be saved from was the Roman Empire. But of course, the true battle, the true battle is with ourselves and not to succumb to sin, to do those things which are displeasing in the sight of God, to try to follow after the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do sin, to repent, um, to ask for forgiveness and strive to do better. And he says, by those, by verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now he's drawing the analogy, isn't he? Peter's saying, do you remember that time? Do you not think that Noah was preaching to those of his time? Well, we have an opportunity to turn to God. And Peter is writing to the believers of his day and saying, look, we have turned to God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been saved. And as eight righteous souls were saved in the time of Noah, 
so too we are saved by water through the waters of baptism. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saved us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And so Peter is reminding the readers of his day and is reminding us of the joy and the hope that we can be, that we can have through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the simple symbol of baptism and belief in God and the Lord Jesus, we too can be saved. It's like a gigantic ecclesial arc that once we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved and nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God. And we look forward uh, to that kingdom soon to be established. And so the other key principle, being saved from sin by the waters of baptism. If you forget everything else in the talk this evening, just remember that, that we can all be saved through belief and the waters of baptism because of the work of Jesus. And so we read, don't we, that in Genesis chapter 9, and verse 9 to 17, that God always remembers his promises. Everyone who is with Noah for perpetual generations without limit can be saved. Because God always provides a means for salvation for those who follow him. And so as we think now of the wonderful example of Noah and the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that God's kingdom is coming. We know that the promise is ever sure, and there doesn't seem to be any other signs that we need to see before God's kingdom comes. All the pieces of the puzzle seem to be in place. And so now is the time for us to act the time for us to get on board through the door of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. And we'll leave you with these thoughts uh, from Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mount of the Lord's house shall be exalted on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways and we shall walk in their paths. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so we're given that beautiful picture through the prophecy of Isaiah of the very opposite to the picture we have in Genesis chapter 6, that this time the nations are eager to learn about God and his ways and to be saved and, and war and, and violence and wickedness shall be no more. And weapons of war will instead be made into weapons of agriculture. And there's a time that those who are hungry shall be fed. Those who need comfort shall be comforted. And those who are suffering affliction shall suffer affliction no more. 
It's a time of great righteousness and peace. And the scripture, the Bible finishes off with this wonderful hope that it says, he which testifieth these things, saith, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And may our Heavenly Father the, and the Lord Jesus Christ be with us as we read from his word and try to put into practice the wonderful things we see and become partakers of the hope that is open to each and every one of us. Many thanks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen